0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lockdown Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis, currently of Lockdown Indians, formerly of 24-7, before that, Scout, and then before that, Indians Baseball slash Indians Prospect Insider, and then just about every Cleveland sports blog you've probably read at some, in, some point in time I appeared on. I want to take a quick second and say that today's show is brought to you by Rock Auto, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Lockdown sent you. Today's show, we're going to talk about the home opener. We will dive into a bit of a mailbag, and we'll do some talk about just some kind of news that happened uh, in and around baseball, possible some good news when it comes to the Indians and their ownership situation. I did want to start off and make sure uh, Justin Latta, who was on the show last week, had a great tweet that I didn't realize this until he pointed it out that uh, today with Logan Allen starting the home opener, that is the first time a left-handed pitcher had started a home opener for Cleveland since Scott Lewis back in 2009. Former Ohio State pitcher Scott Lewis. uh, Interesting. I had not thought about him in a few years, but I thought on the whole, when you're looking at this performance, strong performance by Allen. Five innings. He he goes the full five innings in this one. Not the full five. He goes five innings. Sorry, I'm trying to pull up the stats behind me here, uh, scrolling down on my backup computer. But he goes five innings, five hits, two runs, both earned on two walks, three strikeouts, and the one home run. Both of his came on the home run. Uh, The only other run the Indians gave up was Whit Merrifield, who hit the home run, had a sack fly off Tristan McKenzie. You maybe want to see a few more strikeouts, but that's a strong performance by Allen. Only 74 pitches to get through those five innings. He did not want to come out. It's unfortunate that they basically, it was like five innings was Allen's max because they were having McKenzie piggyback him who went three and two thirds. And then Karen shot came in for the final out, but he was set up to, I mean, at 74 pitches, there's a chance he could have gone seven, uh, which is probably why he didn't want to come out of this one. I mean, Logan Allen has not had a lot of opportunities to pitch in the big leagues. Uh, He's been, you know, he was a big prospect, top 100 guy when the Indians bounced around a bit. Uh, he had made his debut in 2019 with the Padres that year. This was just his, let's see, he had four starts. This was just his fifth start. He had pitched in 12 total games. This is his fifth major league start. Of course he wanted to go longer. So you could understand some of his frustrations. McKenzie pitched pretty well. Uh, the strikeouts were there. The walks were also there uh, with four over three and two thirds innings. The, I mean, the issue is just the offense and yes, the offense was again, unlucky. A lot of hard hit balls right at people. You know, the numbers dictate that over the course of a full season, we will see those type of hits fall in when you're hitting at like 96 or hundred plus miles an hour. Those are the balls that more often than not turn to hits the hard hit ones. Unfortunately for the Indians right now, they're not. And that was the story with the Detroit series. That is the story in this series, but we can't just sit there and blame bad luck. Uh, Danny, if you listen to Monday's podcast, I dug into Danny Duffy's historical data and he's a guy who right-handers hit well. He is a borderline fifth starter against right-handers for his career. Very good against lefties. They loaded up on righties. This team is playing heavy platoons, uh, right now. They should be able to take advantage of Danny Duffy and they didn't, they should have been able to do more than three hits and four walks on the podcast. I'm always like who reached base more than twice or who reached base twice or more in a game, Ahmad Rosario Reza- was it. That's the only guy. Uh, Fran Mil Reyes had a double. That's what the only extra base hit. And the offense looked futile. It looked not great. And that's been the, the story. And yes, it's the early going. And yes, it's four games. Uh, it's very early. A lot can change and happen. But when you are in this situation the team is in, where they traded away all the talent they have traded. People are looking for reasons to to bash them, to not root for them. And when you're facing the weak teams, because Kansas City and Detroit are teams that are hoping to be 500, you're facing the weak teams in the division. You need to start out strong. And unfortunately, the offense just hasn't been there. We'll see if it can pick up. I mean, in this one, pitching's there again. Uh, It wasn't a first inning home run. It was a second inning home run, uh, kind of staying close to what the theme is. And that's going to be part of the Indians staff this year. You look at their pitchers. You can go back to, I mean, Josh Tomlin is kind of the classic example for me when I'm thinking about this type of pitcher where the Indians have never been afraid of guys with high home run rates. They're totally willing to throw a guy out there. Uh, Trevor Bauer for a long time in Cleveland was uh, another guy who had a very high home run rate. And Bieber and Plesak, Savali, they're all probably gonna have home run rates over one. Logan Allen might as well. That's uh, basically it's limit the walks. So you limit having guys on base when you give up that home run, which was, you know, that was Josh Tomlin to a T. tee. Uh, now these other guys can miss bats, which was what Tomlin, outside of like one year, really couldn't do. That's the separator here, but that is definitely something that the Indians as a developmental uh, grouping and as they scout, They're not afraid of someone who's going to give up that long ball, who's going to give up some home runs. So that's what we're seeing. Almost every run I feel like has come across the plate has been uh, a home run. It's got to be at least 80% in the early going, something to continue to track as the season progresses. Want to take a quick moment here and again, talk about rockauto.com, one of our fantastic sponsors. I always tell people, I'm not a car guy, that is not my skill set, but RockAuto is nice for someone like me, even if you're not someone who can go out and buy a part and replace in your car. It allows me to know that I'm getting a good deal when I go somewhere and that I can find out which mechanics are trustworthy. RockAuto gives you that type of power because you can compare, uh, compare and price shop. It's easy to navigate. It's easy to find the piece or part that is broken on your car. And when you go to the mechanic, you can see that you are getting a good deal. And if you are someone who can go and install a piece, fix something on your car, Rock Auto is even better. It's one central location, family owned, low overhead, pass the savings on to you, the consumer. And when you shop at rockauto.com and little, how'd you hear about us box, locked on Indians, locked on MLB, locked on of some form. That's going to let them know that we sent you there and their advertising money is well spent. Rockauto.com. It's just a great tool for you to have when it comes to your car. Let's also take... This moment here and talk about Locked On Today, all the breaking news you need with host Peter Bukowski. Check out Locked On Today for all the news you need to know. I'm sure they'll talk about the Sam Darnold trade. Everyone's kind of in football season right now. Uh, and the uh, Fernando Tatis injury. That's what I would bet on. Those are the two stories I could see leading. So, as if you're watching this video, you can see my name is at Jeff MLB Draft. When I was at scouted 24 seven, that was my focus. I do have to take a second. If you're not someone who necessarily pays attention to the draft, uh, here's some additional information, breaking news, as it were, Jaden Hill was one of the most interesting arms in this class. LSU right-hander, extremely athletic, had been mostly a reliever, two potential plus pitches, fastball slider. I want to say top of my head, uh, torn UCL. I want to say, you know, he's going to need Tommy John. He's done for the year. He was a guy, if he had pitched well, would have been in that discussion with uh, Lighter and Rocker, yes, related to Tracy Rocker and then related to the Lighters. So good bloodlines lines there for both those Vandy arms. He could have been in that group due to his athleticism and just his quick arm. I bring him up in this situation here because quick arm, supreme athlete, the Indians have drafted a few hurt players. Brady Aiken, I know, will come up. I always want to point out Brady Aiken's arm surgery, his arm issue was something that uh, was the extreme. Like a lot of players are hurt. A lot of players get drafted who you know have already had Tommy John or just had Tommy John and are going to miss the next year. That happens a lot. Brady Aiken's is the only one where I heard people concerned, like massively concerned that this was one of those cases that a player was never going to come back the same. And honestly, Aiken never did come back the same. Before that injury, when he was the first overall pick to the Houston Astros, I think people always forget like the Houston Astros not signing Aiken, him not taking, he got less money from the Indians than the Astros offered him. If he had taken that money from the Astros when he was the first overall pick, the Astros don't get Alex Bregman. That turned into Bregman for them. uh, And that monetary savings with that and the Kyle Tucker pick allowed them to draft Daz Cameron, who then became the centerpiece of Justin Verlander. So in a lot of ways, Brady Aiken not signing, uh, really became the core of the, uh, the Astros, um, World Series wins. And it's kind of also interesting that, you know, their top two picks were Aiken and, uh, Mark Appel. Mark Mark trying to come back. So for all the talk of all their scouting greatness, they actually kind of whiffed at the top, but all this is just to say that was an odd situation. Indians fans are very familiar with it, but it was more of a, an extreme with Aiken, uh, Hill, could be a guy. Uh, the Cincinnati Reds would also be a team that makes a lot of sense. So Ohio for both. It's, uh, it's a big risk, big reward. But When you look at some guys like Daniel Espino, who they uh, took a few years ago, uh, Ethan Hankins. They took some guys. I mean, Hankins, there was talk that, you know, he was hurt and was going to need surgery. It didn't come together. And Espino's a guy who a lot of people think at some point due to delivery is going to have injury concerns. So Jaden Hill, like legitimately one of the top 10 players in this class. Uh, Didn't get to see him start last year. Barely got to see him start this year. Interesting arm, just a name to know, something to keep in the back of your head. Other interesting news of the day that I did want to talk about before we get into the mailbag section is I wanted to talk about that Paul Dolan went on uh, WTAM and said that, you know, the club could allow a new investor to buy a stake larger than John Sherman's. Sherman, of course, is now the Royals' owner, and since he sold his stake in the Indians to buy the Royals, the Indians' payroll has dropped about hundred million dollars. We don't know how much Sherman owned; it's somewhere between fifteen and thirty percent. Most think it was probably closer to a thirty percent ownership. So, this is saying that the Dolan family—you uh, know, Paul Dolan in particular—who's the, you know, is the owner of the Indians. Uh, is willing to sell more than 30% of the team. Now, if he's willing to sell more than 30%, whoever buys at a higher than 30% uh, situation here is going to buy with something written in there where they can eventually buy the team. If you're buying 40%, you want control. (laughs) If you're willing to spend the money to get a 40% ownership share, you want something that's going to say within the next 10 years, you get options to buy uh, to become the majority owner. That's just the way it's going to work. Uh, I know we got the whole thing this off season, um, with the Dolan's, uh, saying they've lost money over multiple years. And there's no doubt that probably every ownership group lost money in 2020. The big thing to remember is that the Indians were bought. I want to say for close to somewhere in the 300 million range, their valuation currently is over a billion dollars. So it's not a bad return on investment for a team. That's what maybe 20 years of ownership if that. So it's, um, yeah, you know, it, it would be, it is a situation right now where the Indians payroll has gotten so low relative to the talent they've had. Uh, you know, if you've listened to the series of me talking to all the other AL Central hosts, everyone just kind of goes, I was always shocked that they never went all in. You know, their big addition was Andrew Miller, uh, or the fact that when they got Jay Bruce, they were willing to pick up and pay for his entire contract. So they didn't have to send a big prospect over. Uh, And they got him because the Yankees wanted the Mets to pick up some of the salary and the Indians were willing to take all of Bruce's contract money in. I mean, those are really that and I guess Edwin Encarnacion, which is the biggest signing in Indians history, uh, just in terms of year to year monetary cost. When you're operating, when those are the big points, it, it does make it harder. You do have a uh, much slimmer, smaller margins for error, I should say. Of course, the whole thing is the reason that someone like uh, when they have a situation where people come calling and want to hire people away from this front office, people don't want to go because they know that uh, they know what the situation is, they know the lay of the land, they know that it's an ownership group that is completely hands off. So if you do lose that ownership group, there is potentially some negatives. Um, I think getting a minority owner, though is huge, and I think that's one of those things that we'll continue to see this story develop. You wanna watch this story develop because there's no doubt that the loss of Sherman has had a massive effect on the Indians' ability to compete, has had a massive effect on what can be reinvested in the team, and getting someone, even if they could just get back to about that 30% ownership, I mean, that could be huge. You could look at almost double where the team's payroll is this year, going forward, which all of a sudden that means you could be in worlds and situations. Listen, they're not signing Lindor. That contract is always one that's going to end up in one of the five major markets. That's, that's just the way of a contract like that. I don't necessarily know if you could keep a Jose Ramirez cause let's be in fairness to that situation, but it does open the door where maybe someone like Shane Bieber, there's more attempts at locking him up to a long-term contract. It seemed like that never got off the ground this off season. Maybe if there's a little bit more leeway and monetary flexibility, when you add that minority owner back in, someone like Shane Bieber is then able to be kept in house. Just an idea, just to point out why this is an important news story and something needs to be tracked. I mean, honestly, getting the minority owner, getting that uh, extra cash flow in the team is a bigger story than anything that's happened in the first week of baseball for the Cleveland Indians. It's four games. I know people out there like, but those are the games. Yeah, they're the games and it is opening day and it's great to have baseball back, but the effect of a cash inflow to this team with the management group that's in place and how well they do is going to have a much bigger impact than probably anything we've seen since the Lindor trade. This would be the biggest story since then. So it may not get the airtime, it may not get the runtime, but know this, be familiar with this. This is very important. And if you're an Indians fan, hope they find someone. I don't know who it could be. Uh, when I was doing those central uh, talks with teams, we, you know, I can't remember if it was on air or off air. We got into discussion about like who are the rich people in Cleveland? Who are the rich people in Ohio who could uh, conceivably invest? Um, I There's a part of me that's sad. I know people have their ups and downs with LeBron, but I know he has his own ties and that's why I invest in the Red Sox, but he's the type of local person where that small percentage, uh, grouping would have been ideal. So just something else to keep in mind. Uh, one of those things that's definitely important to the future of this team. Let's take another quick break here. Talk about our sponsors that help keep all of our great content going on network. I talked about bet online yesterday when I was looking at the lines of the day and I told everyone, yo, that's a good over under showing how much I know about gambling and overall lines for four and a half. I think for the Indians game now three isn't bad because the Indians really should not have had zero. Let's look ahead to tomorrow's scores. Uh, Well, actually the Indians don't play tomorrow. So uh, let's see if I can get a jump a little bit further in the week. Maybe Uh, four, the lines for baseball. Now, while the Indians don't play, for instance, Detroit with Casey Mize against the Minnesota Twins with Jay Hap, uh, the the total runs is nine in that one. Uh, The Tigers getting a run and a half. It's an interesting combination. How about going over to the New York Yankees versus Baltimore Orioles where you have Kremer versus Garrett Cole and the Orioles are getting... Uh, plus one and a half runs, which makes sense. Eight and a half for your total runs. Highest one, Luke Weaver of the Diamondbacks versus Jermat German Marquez of the Rockies at 10 and a half runs. Uh, it's not a bad pitching matchup. That might be one that'd be intriguing to me. Point is you can go find these lines for yourself. You can find e-sports, blackjack, live betting, race book, live casino, poker, all up here at the top. You can find so many different things. Go to Online. Dot ag today, use the promo code locked on to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. It's huge 50% on your first deposit. That is over at betonline.ag promo code locked on to ensure that you get that 50% bonus. Go check it out for yourself today. And then one more note before we hop into this mailbag that. Locked On Fantasy Baseball. Scott Cullen runs that. If you are someone who's into fantasy and you want all that information that can help you win your league, make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Baseball podcast. It's information every day. Every day you're getting a who to look for, who's rising, who is going to help you win your league. So I asked for some mailbag questions to to finish some things up on here. Uh, At Nolan Jones... Uh, szn uh someone who is a fan there ryan is his name though uh, is there any reason ty van burklow is still on this coaching staff i don't know how much of an impact um hitting coaches honestly have i feel like their job is to more help guys stay even keel and to spot something major i don't think we've ever seen you know like Pitching coaches have a big impact. We see that with development. We see that there are some pitching coaches that certainly do help uh, more than others and have more success. And there's been star pitching coaches and you can probably think of a few names. You Can you name one star hitting coach? I, it just doesn't happen. You, it doesn't come to me. Like the hitting coach feels like a very low impact spot. Like the job is just to be available to be aware so you see big things and to just make sure guys stay even keel. You know, Ty is there because the organization knows him and Terry's comfortable with him. And yeah, I don't think, you know, firing a hitting coach is going to uh, have any effect. Like I said, tell me who's the best hitting coach in baseball. I have never gotten into that debate with anyone. I have never really talked about it. I don't think anyone knows that answer. At Topher Suspended, which is... Topher Groupie asks, how many shortstops start for the Cleveland baseball team next year? If you count Rosario, Chang, Freeman, Miller, Arias, Jimenez, etc. Now they're also going to have to add uh, Brian Coyo and Bracco, though Bracco, Bracco is more of a second baseman, DH. They're going to have to add, there's going to be like 10 shortstops on the 40 man. Uh, if, if you listen to my podcast from last week, where I talked about the 11 half to ads and the five other players who could put themselves in that discussion, Richie Pal- Palacios is another guy. They have so many shortstops. Uh It behooves them, honestly, this season to make a few trades. Like if they can trade a few prospects for a proven player, they kind of need to consolidate. That was the word I could not think of last week was consolidate talent, but that is something they need to do or else they're going to lose multiple players in the rule five draft. There's no way around that. They have so many players coming up. Rosario we'll have to see. Like he is one of those guys, either he's going to hit well enough to show that like 2019 was his best, was the true thing where he's that hitter, or he's going to have some struggles with transitions and they're not going to have a great spot for him. And they might like look to move on from him. Freeman. I is one of those, like it's going to be a service time game. Yes. He has to get added to the 40 man this offseason, much like Nolan Jones had to be added at the end of last year. Uh, we'll still see when Nolan Jones gets called up. Freeman is probably going to spend most of this year in the upper minors, but he's not, he's one of those guys. I don't think you see before June or July. And if they pick up Cesar Hernandez's option, they don't even really have a natural spot for him. So they could push that even further. Uh, Miller, Miller and Chang are going to compete for similar roles. Uh, just in terms of utility type with Arias, Arias, he, he's probably further behind Freeman in development, but he's had to be added to the 40 man last offseason. And, you know, obviously Jimenez is already there. I, again, you've only got so many spots. They're trying to find ways to be creative. Uh, they could, they could, shift someone eventually view it as like the third baseman of the future as well if Jose Ramirez I've said like next July 2022 is probably the window to consider trading him uh, with about 18 months left on the contract so one of those guys could eventually shift over to third base is a Hernandez they could choose to pick up I mean it is it's a decent option but they have so many players at this point that like normally I'd say just go ahead and pick it up but they kind of need to just let the young guys play, and especially if you can then use that money to help another position, uh, somewhere, maybe get them or something. That's all things to consider. But, uh, yeah, they they have, they have, you can never have too many shortstops. stops. I always think back to when they fell short in the, uh, Josh Donaldson sweepstakes before he went to Toronto. And I mean, Toronto wanted a, uh, top shortstop prospect and that was Franklin Barreto and it did not work out for him and uh, he ended up in Oakland or yeah well of course he was in Oakland after that trade but then they traded him for their like two-month rental of Tommy La Stella last year that's that's how far that prospect had fallen and yeah Oakland's trades oof, hasn't worked out well for them let's that's, that's we could do, if I was an A's podcast we could do so much on that uh they've had some that have really worked out, but it's much like the Indians, it's never the star piece, it's never the centerpiece, it's always the secondary pieces that help them the most. Uh DB Sice, Andy, who I talk about talk to often on here, uh it looks as if Karen Chalk won't be in line for many saves. It appears he is coming in during high-leverage situations. Is Maiton Classe or Whitgren in line if there's an ever an opportunity to get a save? Well, the honest truth is, if Class A and Karen Jock get saves, their arbitration is exponentially higher. When it comes time to pay players, saves is really the one thing that makes contracts a lot more expensive when it comes to relief pitchers. So for a team like the Indians, it behooves them to not make their young players closers. If you know, they're better off, I think it could be Mayton, uh, because in that group, he's got better stuff than Wittgren but they they could go with one of those two guys. There could be someone else. They could eventually force their hand if no one's effective to go to one of the other players. I think Karen Chalk has done a nice job in those high-level situations. Honestly, if they end up going with the young guys back there, I think it's more likely Class A just because of the high velocity to just throw them out there for one inning, or Karen Chalk, you might try to get more than one out of him. I had a question about the about Brady Aiken, like, is he out of baseball? He was at drive line. He went to drive line. That was the talk, and then haven't heard anything since. Um, another one from Andy. Uh, Given that Chang is playing first base against lefties, how good of a look are they truly going to get? Is that? I'm curious. I'm just going to quickly check and see that line there. Uh, I guess he just means how good of a look at Chang they're going to see if he can hit lefties. If that can be kind of, it's clear that he is lining up to be more of a utility bat for them as a potential platoon bat, a guy who can play short second and third. There's value in that. I mean, he can now essentially play every spot on your infield. Maybe work on him. See if he can be, he's a good athlete. Maybe he could even play some corner outfield, give you a true, uh, bench bat that can pop in just about anywhere and be there to hit lefties always had good walk rates, always had good power numbers in the minors. I am all for that. At King Harris and Moneyball, the A's projections of their own runs scored and allowed were very accurate. So basically they're able to predict how many runs are going to give up and how many runs they're going to score. And that plus minus differential is shown to be a very good indicator of overall team success. I assume 20 years later, Cleveland can also be that accurate. And knowing that, what is the point of trotting out a team that's going to end up with 78 wins in either playoffs nor a top draft pick? I don't think they're going to get 78 wins. I know it's been a relatively negative four games, but I've said I think they're going to be a potential card team. Now, they might be closer to 2019 Indians where they finished on the outside looking in, but you've got a player that one can make a strong case, should have won the MVP, and you had a pitcher win the MVP, uh, the triple crown for all of baseball. You gotta try. (laughs) You're not going to get that level of high end talent often. And they've got some young players they believe in, and you're just trusting that they can scout well, and that the supplementary pieces like a friend mill Reyes that they've added through the years when they went out and added Rosario and they added brought back Hernandez, those guys are going to help the roster on the whole. And again, four games, very unlucky. In those four games, do not overreact. Uh, And the betting line to go back to our sponsor, 81 and a half games. So had them just about 500. They have not had a high pick since Clint Frazier. I want to say Naquin might have been like a 12th or 13th overall pick. And I guess Will Benson was like 11th or 12th as well in his draft year. But they had that whole stretch of high picks and it's, and Frazier still isn't proven. Drew Pomeranz has, and he's finally found a role as a reliever. But you go through the draft is a crapshoot. This isn't, you know, I mean, I write on it a lot and spend a lot of time on it. And when it comes down to it, it, there's, I mean, so much risk. Uh, You know, I go back and I give myself credit because I had Alex Bregman as the number two player in that class. I had him higher than Dansby Swanson. I thought he was a better player. So I can pat myself on the back, yeah. But then I had Brendan Rogers, who's still yet to play in the big leagues with Colorado, as player one. Uh, you don't get them all, yeah. Yeah, I'd cray as the number one player over uh, Byron Buxton, but I also thought like JB Woodman was going to be a great, uh, very good player uh, for the Toronto Blue Jays. It's like he was a quarterback. He's finally putting it together. We don't even need to get into my Tristan Pompey love, where that didn't come together. You hit, you miss Um, with the baseball draft, especially those early picks. uh, The Indians like to go ceiling, but you can get some similar high ceiling players kind of later in the draft. Uh, Ceiling is always kind of there in the first round. You can find ceiling. So they're okay being where they are. Honestly, the best thing that they have going for them is those competitive balance picks. Look at a second rounder this year. They got that extra first rounder last year, which turned into uh, Tanner Burns and it's more about the quantity than anything else and uh, they totally went with that approach um the past few years where they have almost entirely avoided the senior sign they've gone for just players that they view as a high ceiling or they you know they view as strong ceiling types so they're not going to go out and sign someone they don't think can play in their system and that's um and then from Glenn Longwell 89 he asked that he hasn't had the benefit of actually seeing games. So it sounds like Naylor has been playing fairly well Is the reason for optimism. Is he still looking like he did last year? He had that great catch. I'm trying to think if that was Saturday's game. I think it was Saturday's game. Uh, he's looked well. He's running. He's playing well out there. I don't think he's going to win any awards, but I think he's doing enough to to play outfield and to not be a detriment to the team out there. Uh, he's probably better than Eddie Rosario. Like, honestly, like Rosario has been a, a negative defender for a while. Like if you're looking to replace a spot now, Rosario has the much stronger arm between them. But yeah, I think Naylor's been fine. I think that is a, a situation that isn't really concerned so far. Small sample size, of course, should be noted. I have been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Locked in Indians podcast. I know my name is at Jeff MLB draft. I know everyone's saying, where's the draft content. It's it's coming. I'm working my way through it. Get a little bit of a, the little bit of it in the podcast as well. Uh, baseball season is a lot of fun. I'm going to see my first game this weekend in person in over a year. Uh, University of uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin versus Youngstown State. So I'll get to see a Ohio squad uh, in person on Friday. Again, thank everyone for listening, rating, and reviewing, downloading daily. That helps our show grow. I have been Jeff Ellison. The next.